Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the Leadership is Changing podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Giannoutsos, and it's great to be with you once again. And I'll tell you what, these highlights are fantastic. And we're bringing these highlights to you based on the interviews that I did in 2023. And for this episode, I've got three guests that we're going to be sharing with you. And I'm going to encourage you to go back to their full episodes, their full interviews, and have a listen. Episode 494, Jason Radisson, place your smart bets strategically. He's the founder and CEO of an organization called Movo. Episode 497, Valerie Trapinski. Now, Valerie, that title there is How to Become a Master Delegator. Valerie was an executive assistant to many A-class celebrities and uh, went out and started her own business as well and is the founder of Chatterboss and is also the author of a book called Delegation Nation. And then episode 503, Wendy H. Steele, making impact by going the extra mile. She is a CEO of an organization called Impact 100. Now, all three of them shared fantastic wisdom and insights and thoughts. And as I said before, I'm going to really encourage you to go and listen to the full episodes, the full interviews. So let's get into the highlights. Enjoy. Yeah, I think I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have been growing businesses these last dozen or so years in the gig economy. And my latest venture is Movo, which is an HR platform for the frontline workforce. Awesome. Movo, what a cool name. Thanks. Where did that name come from? You know, a a lot of ideation. It was important to us to keep it short and sweet. And I think with, you know, that type of technology made up a startup name, it gives you a lot of room to put into the brand what you want the company to be. They are our blank slates. And that was really the approach we wanted. And there are some things in there, you know, mobility, vocation, these kinds of things that are very much tied to the future. And is your organization, you know, mainly in the US or is it, is it elsewhere as well? We're fairly global for an early stage company. We are doing business in Latin America, Eastern Europe, as far east as Turkey, and quite a bit in the US as well. Mm, Very good. And tell me, so we're talking about leadership today. We're going to be talking about through the lens of leaders at first, and then we'll change lenses later on. But the, the first question I've got for you is, how did you get into leadership? I got into leadership through early job experiences. And I think largely in the way that a lot of people do, a little serendipitously, where 
I was responsible for a function or a piece of a business and needed to step in to make sure that things went well. Yep. And what was that like for you, that experience of having to step in to make sure things went well? You know, a little scary at first. You know, I'd say close to stage fright or, you know, that sort of butterflies feeling when you're about to perform in a very new way in front of in front of a lot of folks. I think the business experience, I was a musician as a kid as well, played in a lot of different groups. And I think that that experience is similar, that that initial feeling. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening to this episode as well. They probably go through that too. I think it's a good thing though, when you get that nerves, right? You, you sort of, that sort of helps you. <laughs> One is because you do care about it going well. And two would be that yeah. it's just a great thing and it just gets the, the blood flowing. Because if it wasn't there, then it'd probably be pretty flat. Yeah. So, so I think it's a good thing. How did you cope in the sense that, were you given training? Were you developed as a leader or were you just thrown into the deep end? A little bit of both. You know, my own personal background is I came up poor with the a single mom, a 16-year-old single mom. And I think I just had a lot of work experience very early on for probably most people's standards. And, you know, part of that is it can be you're sort of left to your own devices. It sort of depends on, I think a lot of times too, when you're coming up and you're, you're working an entry-level job or a relatively junior job, your immediate supervisor is pretty junior. And I think that leads a lot of people when they get those first leadership experiences to not have a lot of supervision and, you know, need to figure out quite a few things on their own. You know, I'd say I had one extremely robust sort of mentorship program, more structured program early on. And that was sort of my college years. I worked all through college and graduate school. Uh, and I had, I had a wonderful kind of apprentice pro ad hoc apprentice program that a company put together for me when I was, when I was in college, uh, the summers during college and, and the work that I did for them during the school year. And that really helped. They got me exposure to some more senior level folks and some international business exposure and a lot of things that I learned during those years and, and really more structured, more support, you know, than anything I had seen at that point. Mm. And, and it's wonderful when you, when you do have that opportunity because, you know, as you said, the structure and so forth and the support, but also the access to various people who have been there, done that successful, yeah. hopefully they're successful in what they've done. But of course, they've probably learned a lot as well. So it just means you don't have to reinvent sure. the wheel. There's a lot of people that don't actually have exposure to that. And so yeah. Um, yeah. was there anything else you might have done as well outside of that mentorship program, anything you did personally to try and help you develop as a leader? You know, I had just a lot of interests and I thought a lot of leadership experiences that, that weren't particularly business experiences. I was, I was leader in the Boy Scouts. Mm. I was leader in sports at school, team captain, team co-captain, those kinds of experiences. So I think a lot of those experiences are 100% relevant for the business world and in those same skills, you know, really carry over. Yeah, cool. So there, there were things there already. So you did have that kind of experience yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah that, that's really good. Um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, the only thing I would add, Dennis, is, you know, I think growing up poor, for those who are out there that maybe come from modest means as well, I think one of the hardest things when you're first starting out too is may not necessarily have much of a support network. And particularly if you're growing up, as I did in a rural part of the world, that can be really hard. So it really is super important to, to get that support, to find that support, to reach out, 
I made, you know, my early mentorship experiences were all sort of folks that I had worked really hard to network with or, you know, back in the day had written them a cold letter saying I really wanted to work for them. And, you know, these were the things I thought I could learn and and those kinds of things definitely work. Yeah, nice. So there it is. Listeners, here's an example, maybe writing a cold letter, as Jason's just called it, or a letter that you can send out to people saying, hey, quite keen to come and work here for you or with the organization. Because a lot of people tend to nowadays, Jason, wait for opportunities to come to them. Or they will send a, they'll apply online for a job and they sit there with their arms folded, looking intensely at their screen, waiting for that job to say, ta-da, congratulations, you've got the job. A, it doesn't work like that. And B, you just got to get out there and do it. But I think it's a great opportunity for people to do that is actually apply or just send them a letter just to build relationships with people to say, hi, I'm quite keen and be quite cool to see where that goes for some people. So listeners, give it a go. And Jason will say that it does work and it, and it does. And why not? So yeah, be pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? Today, I am in Florida. I'm physically in Florida. My heart is in New York. I just moved six months ago. <laughs> oh, wow. You just moved? Yes. Wow. And your heart's still there in New York, huh? Still there. <laughs> yeah. How long were you living in New York for? 25 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so it's a big change for you, huh? It is. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so thanks for sharing that. So we're going to be talking about leadership and leadership is changing and so forth. Now, before we go any further, I've given the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you. Tell us more about you. Well, thank you. So my background is that I was a personal assistant and a chief of staff, and I kind of fell into that role. I started my career in advertising. I thought that I would stay in advertising forever, but... Leadership is changing. Life is changing. Your career plans are changing. And I got an opportunity to work as a personal assistant and later on become a chief of staff. And it wasn't the trajectory that I had planned for myself, like I think happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, but it ended up being the right one for me. I was in that role for six years and I got exposure to some fascinating lifestyles. I had an opportunity to work for A-list celebrities and high net worth individuals. And what I saw in those households is that those individuals leveraged assistants and other staff in a way that I had never imagined. They were able to create for themselves so much more time, so much more leverage, so much more opportunity because they were all master delegators. And being in that role, I was inspired to start Chatterboss to be able to bring that same level of support and education to small businesses and entrepreneurs, people that are, you know, carrying our economy on their backs and to show them that it can be easier, it can be done in other ways. And so that's how my company Chatterboss was born. Well, this is awesome. And this is the reason I wanted to get you onto the onto the podcast, because I think that there is a lot of people out there today who are trying to be everything to everybody. And so they're not masters of delegation, as you said, like the others are. And pretty fascinating that you work with some A-listers and some other very successful people as well. And the question I've got for you, and it's all related to this, tell us more about Chatterboss. What do you do in this organization? How does it help people? I'd love to know more. Yeah, so we are a remote executive assistance service. We work with entrepreneurs and business owners, and we give them access to a dedicated team of virtual assistants 
that are able to help them in their day to day. And what makes Chatterboss unique is that we are more than just task doers. A lot of people think about virtual assistants or remote assistants as I'll tell you what to do and you'll do it. And that is certainly a part of delegation. But what we bring to the table is to be your thought partner, your right hand, to give you the opportunity to become replaceable in your business by starting to copy parts of your brain and your decision making so that you are not always the one doing all the things. So your assistant is more of like a chief of staff level offering than what you would imagine with a virtual assistant offering. Yeah, because I agree with what you're saying. I think with a remote uh, assistant or a virtual assistant, a lot of it is that we have to have what they call SOPs. Mm -hmm. They have to systemize. We have to have processes to operationally work and and go like that and show them and record how we do it so then they can learn. And for a lot of them, they don't know. They they tend to just follow the processes and that's it. And I, I think what you're doing is fantastic because you do want someone who can think outside the square someone who can actually understand who I am and what I'm wanting and where I'm going. And that is very, very, very cool. And so, yeah, very good. And I understand you've got a book coming out as well. Yes. Yeah, so my book, Delegation Nation, A Labor of Love for the last four years, is coming out on August 29th. It is the culmination of what I have learned from working with entrepreneurs, working with assistants, and analyzing the relationships that work from the relationships that don't work. Every time we hire a new assistant, we ask them questions. And as they remain with us, we continue to ask them different questions about what works for them, what doesn't. And we want to educate the entrepreneur on what is going to make them the best possible client so that the assistants that they have are inspired to do their best for them. And by the same token, the book also speaks to assistance in helping them understand the perspective of the entrepreneur, how they can best serve these leaders so that they can bring their visions into the world with the assistance help. Oh, that's cool. So it's coming from both perspectives. Yes. Yeah, nice. I like that. That's very good. Thank you. Hey, um, that's a real interesting background that you've just shared there with us about, okay, 25 years in New York, now I just moved to Florida, pretty cool. And also the fact that you've come from a background and then what you've gone and done is taking your strengths there and gone and started a business to help other people too. Fascinating people you would have worked with. They've, you've learned that they were the masters of delegations and of delegation and how to do that. But now you've got a book coming out called Delegation Nation and you've got a, a business called Cheddar Boss and that's how it's all related. Brilliant. Great way. It's excellent. So listeners, there you go. If you're thinking about what you do on a daily basis today, and if you can turn that into a business for yourself, to help others, I think it's really cool. Zig Ziglar is a guy who's from the past who talked about sales and so forth. And he always says that if you can help enough people get what they want, then you'll be successful as well. And I think that's what you're doing here, Valerie, is you're helping other people, of course, through your business to get them to be successful and, and take things probably off their plate and to allow them to get on with other things too. Absolutely. A hundred percent. There's not a shortage of things on our plate. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you actually get into leadership yourself? I don't know if there are other leaders and must be the case that 
have this dream for themselves that I'm going to be a leader one day, right? Versus the part of the population that just kind of falls into it by default through the actions that they're taking. I think that for me, my approach to leadership inside of Chatterboss is that of really servant leadership. And I think it's because of the nature of the business that we do that this is also my leadership style and all of that is kind of intertwined together because we are in a service-based business. And so what I know very deeply at my core is that I cannot do what I'm doing and I cannot accomplish my mission without the people in my organization. And so I lean on that very strongly. And well, in the beginning, there was no people. And so, you know, I guess, when do you really become a leader, right? At which moment can you really call yourself that? And I think that it's, you know, baby steps, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're creating your organization. A lot of the time you start on your own. So when do you get to wear that title? Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, I grew up in a family that gave back. And so it was just sort of instilled in my day, my week and, and my budget, honestly. And so when I graduated from college, I became a banker and I wanted to help people. That was my work as a private banker is to help them to achieve their financial goals. I relocated to Ohio after living on the East Coast and found that so many of the women I met just didn't see a way to get involved in the community. And that troubled me. So I, in the summer of 2001, started to write down all the reasons they told me they couldn't be involved. And one by one, I tried to overcome them. One of the things I learned is that not only if you grow up giving back, are you more likely to give back and as an adult, but as the roles of women had changed in the United States in particular, although we've got chapters in New Zealand and Australia as well, women's philanthropy really hadn't kept pace. And so that's really what led me to start Impact 100. From there, it took off in a bigger and better way than I can ever imagine. And so we made our very first grant in the summer of 2001 $123,000 because 123 women came together. 20 years later, we've now grown a thousandfold. And around the world, we've given away more than $123 million, $1,000 at a time from women just like me, like all the women you might know in your lives. And it's been transformational all the way around. Oh, that's awesome. Transformational for them, but also I think it would be transformational for you, right? Completely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That that's awesome. And so what a wonderful way to be able to give back to people to help them have a lift up to do what they might want to do with it and so forth, which is really, really great to see. And so tell me a little more about in the sense that we're gonna be talking about leadership is changing and things like that today. But how did you actually get into leadership? Well, you know, I would say my first leadership role sort of came the old-fashioned way. I climbed the corporate ladder. Banking is about as corporate as you can get with a lot of hierarchy and structure. And so, you know, you sort of do the right thing. You meet and, and exceed your goals and you get a promotion and you get a promotion. So I had ascended to the role of senior vice president and regional manager in, in the bank, which, you know, is a decently high leader. 
However, becoming a leader on the nonprofit side is something entirely different. It's really not about corporate promotions and checking boxes and exceeding goals. It's really about standing up and saying, I see a problem that needs to be fixed and I'm ready to take responsibility to do what I can where I am to help solve it. And when I ascended to that leadership, I was rather unlikely founder being a banker and without a nonprofit pedigree other than a lot of experience as a volunteer. But I think when these problems really sort of start to bother us, I believe it's sort of the universe's way of saying somehow we have a way to solve this problem and that we need to take action. And so two different leadership journeys, very different, but the end is the same. Yeah, interesting. Because quite interesting to hear about the difference between the corporate and the nonprofit, you know, two different types of organizations. But for you to go up in different ranks throughout the corporate side of things and then into the non-for-profit side of things too, or not-for-profit, what what was it like for you as a female going up the, the corporate ladder and climbing it? Was it difficult? How did you find it? Well, yeah, I was one of the very few women at the time in my industry. So so there were not a lot of women I could look up to as role models who'd already sort of broken that glass ceiling. I was lucky, though, because I did have the men in higher positions who believed in me. I think absent that, it would have been much more difficult. But I was also raised to be very hardworking and go sort of the extra mile. And I think, especially as a woman in a corporate setting, but honestly, probably even today, regardless of your gender or your age or even your industry, it's that notion that you really have to go the extra mile, be attentive and sort of anticipate needs instead of just taking orders. You know, start acting like you're a leader before you're given the title and suddenly people see you that way. Yeah, it's interesting how you can act as the leader or do the things as a leader before you're actually given the role or the actual title or whatever. Because a lot of people sort of sit there going, well, give me this, give me that, and then I'll be the leader. It's like, no, because it's about mm-hmm. becoming the leader and it's about you going in there and doing what you need to do. Yeah, it's, that's excellent. I, that's fascinating what you just shared because I think a lot of people sort of get that little bit muddled up and the wrong way around. And I think it's important. Yeah. And one other thing on that that I've found, and I, I talk about this with younger women and men who are in corporate roles today, is that very often you have your eye on that next promotion, how you can lead. And in terms of your corporate structure that you might hear, you know, you don't have the skill set, you don't have the experience. Well, and then you say, well, how do I get it if you don't promote me? Well, one really good way to get it without getting the promotion is honestly through volunteer work. Because when you go out to the causes you care about and you volunteer to help them on lead a project or raise money or any of the myriad things that nonprofits need, suddenly you now get project management experience. You're increasing your network of both business and social contact. You're learning from other mentors and leaders that might be outside your industry. In other words, Again, when you go the extra mile, if you really want that promotion, you have to put yourself in the position of those men and women who are going to choose you or someone else for the next leadership role within the company and getting the skills, even if you have to go outside of your company to do it, 
They're typically very transferable and it can differentiate you from the rest of your peers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 